around doing nothing, picking your fingernails no, and, and whistling. And he said, hey, y'all want to go to work? And they said, yeah. So he hired them all. He brought them out there. They worked. When they got done, he he started paying he started paying them the the ones he hired last first. He paid them a penny. And he got around to them and hired first, and they said, "Hey, wait a minute, that ain't fair. You didn't pay us right." And what Jesus let them know was, "Hey, it's you agreed with us. You agreed for a penny, okay? God's grace." It's what's it's what should be taught in that lesson right there that God is a giving God. Amen. And 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 what God gives us in return for our labor, it's not for us to decide. That's his giving. That's and and you know, one of the main themes I got I got I picked up in that message and I brought it to light was this. God doesn't need you. Did you ever think about that? God doesn't need you. Really? If you never existed, if you were never born, this world would be just fine going right, rocking right along without you. And you know what? God's kingdom wouldn't miss a beat. It's hard for us to get a hold of sometimes as human beings because we got pride and 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 it, it gets the best of us sometimes. And and you know we feel kind of get our, get our we get rubbed the wrong way, get our feelings hurt sometimes when we don't feel as important as we should. But truth of it is, we're really not that important at all. And uh, but but we're important to God because of the blood of Jesus. That's the reason why we have any importance at all. It's not because of anything we've ever done, because God's no respecter of persons. He don't look at me or you and think, well, that's a good one there, and that one ain't worth nothing. He looks at us. If we're covered in the blood of Jesus, and he sees Jesus, okay? But this morning, what we're going to get to is something I have never preached on ever, ever. I've never heard a message on this ever, okay? And what we're, what we're going to look, we're going to look over in, uh, in chapter 20, in verse 20, and we're going to read 20 through 28, all right? Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 through 28. I do want to welcome in all those that are listening to us uh, on the Internet, and we want you to feel welcome. I'm, I'm filling in today at Temple Baptist Church in Clarksville, Texas, for Pastor Lucas Field, and I'm glad to be coming to you today. We're in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 through 28, and let's read. The Bible said, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And they say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto him, You shall, you shall drink indeed of my cup. And be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. And Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. For whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's go to the Lord in word of prayer this morning. Father, we come before your throne, Lord, this morning, and we ask you that you might 
Lord, that you might meet with us today, that the Holy Ghost of God might stir in our midst, that the Holy Ghost of God might fill me, Lord. I know I'm unworthy. I know I'm nothing. I know that I don't deserve a thing. But, Lord, I'm your servant. And, Father, I pray that you'd clean me, you'd fill me to the top, Lord, with your power, with your Holy Ghost. And I pray you'd pour the words out of me this morning that you want me to say. I pray that, Lord, the power of the Word of God would go forth And, Lord, I pray it would touch hearts. I pray, Lord, it would cause us to examine ourselves. It would cause a stirring within us and a a change, Lord, a a renewing of our our vows to you, a renewing of the promises we've made, Father. I pray, Lord, that you do a work in us today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, this message, again, like I said, I've never heard anybody preach this message. That's not to say that you've never heard it, but I've never heard anybody preach on this text. But uh, I thought about, well, what kind of title am I going to put on this? And I think the one I settled on is Blind Ambition. Blind Ambition. Because you've got you to realize that, that this request that's coming from the mother of James and, and John, this is a weird request. It's very odd. And, and it comes from a place. It comes from, uh, it comes from the flesh. Okay, even though I'd probably have to admit that if we were to, if we were to be able to put, get in a time travel vessel and go back to that time, and we were to be able to meet Salome, which was the mother of James and John, and we were to be able to meet James and John, we'd probably think to ourselves, "My goodness, they're better folks than we are." They, they, well, you talk about some good people. I'm, I feel like we'd probably get around them, and we. would We'd probably feel a little humbled. I mean, they walked with Jesus every day. We'd probably be just a little intimidated of their closeness to him, okay? But the truth of it is, let's just just cut right to the truth. They were people just like me and you. In my study of the Bible, I have learned one thing for sure. The disciples were the most bumbling, stumbling, hard-headed I mean, a bunch of knotheads to ever walk on the face of the earth. Not to say that I'm a hair better than any of them, because I'm not. But it gives me comfort to see the Lord's patience with his disciples. It gives me comfort to know, hey, if he was that kind to them, and they walked every step with him, they were right along with him doing everything he did, except for the times that they messed up and didn't do what he said. But, But for the most part, They followed him every step. They went through everything with him, and yet they still messed up right and left. They still had had the wrong idea about things often, and yet he still loved them, and yet he was still merciful to them, and yet he's still forgiving to them. And that gives me hope in my own walk with Christ because I know that I fall down often. I know that sometimes I, I get the wrong idea in my head, and I'm thankful to know that God is merciful to me. But I want us to look this morning... First of all, let's, let's look at the ambitious request of Salome. And you say, how do you know her name? Well, she was at Calvary, and she's there, and she's and you find out who she is. How many of y'all know who she was? Anybody know who she was in relation to Jesus? She was Jesus' aunt. Salome is the, is the sister of Mary. She was there at the cross with Mary. Salome, the wife of Zebedee. And therefore, what does that make James and John? Well, they're Jesus' first cousins. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know whether you knew that or not. But anyway, 
the ambitious request of Salome. The Bible says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. Now, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 10, and we're going to see the companion to this right here. And, uh, of course, when you have two different people telling the story, you're going to have two different viewpoints on it. And Mark doesn't, Mark doesn't even involve Salome. He says in James and John, verse 35, Mark 10, 35. I'm sorry, I didn't tell you the verse. Mark 10, 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatever we shall desire. Isn't that a, isn't that a note? Hey, we're, com- we, we're, we're coming to you asking that you'll do for us whatever we want. <laughs> what, a, what a request. But here's the thing. You think it fooled Jesus? You think he was surprised? He knew what they were going to ask before they asked it. And yet he's still, he's, look, 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 he's gentle. He's merciful. He's kind. He doesn't rip their head off for giving him a, a dumb request. And it is a dumb request. And I'll show you why in a minute. But um, but anyway, here's how here's how it looked like to me it happened. She came first. I think they all sat down together and they got to talking. After Jesus finished up saying what he had said prior to this, and we're going to look at that in just a minute. But they all got together, and she came first, and she came and. And she bowed down before him and worshipped him and said, Oh, Lord, thou art great and all this stuff. I mean, she put on a good show trying to get his, trying to butter him up. It's kind of like you do if you're going into the boss for a raise. I mean, she's coming in. She's telling him how great he is and, and, and worshipping him. But she's coming for them. She's asking for them. So just before just before we get into this, I want I do want to share this with you real quick. If you look in Matthew, if we'll turn back to Matthew, and you look just a few verses before verse twenty, verse seventeen, we get to what I talked about last week. <clears throat> the Bible says there, and Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the twelve disciples apart in the way, and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man shall be betrayed under the chief priest and under the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. And again, that same account is told over in Mark. And it says, And there were in the way going up to Jerusalem, And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them. And as, as, I'm sorry, and they were amazed, and as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we, we, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him and shall scourge him and shall spit on him and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. Now, he just told them everything that was going to happen. You know where it went? Right over their heads. They didn't get it. 
They did not get They thought he must have been speaking in a parable again. Uh, they, they, they just did not rationalize what he was really saying to them. And, and yet we see that he leads out, taking off toward Jerusalem. Now, the last time he was there, people were saying, uh, you know, we're going to get him. They were, and there were people standing around saying, you reckon he'll show up for the Passover? I mean, they, they knew something was going to happen when he showed back up. And the disciples knew that there was trouble. The disciples knew if we go back down to Jerusalem, they're going to they're gonna do something. Something bad's going to happen. And so it said that they were amazed because they saw him just leading like a, like a soldier going off to battle. I mean, he was marching toward Jerusalem. He, he had a purpose. He knew he was going to die for you and me. And yet they couldn't see it. They were just, they were amazed and afraid. And I think the only thing that they heard was he's going to rise again. And I don't think they understood that, that, what that meant. I think what they thought by that is he's going to set up his kingdom. He's going to rise. He's finally going to sit on the throne of David. He's going to rise. I think that's honestly what they heard because they didn't get it. So here comes Salome. And she comes to Jesus and, oh, Jesus, oh, thou art holy and all this. And she said, please grant that my sons can sit on one on your right hand and one on your left in your kingdom. And remember, the boys came and they said, Lord, give us whatever we ask. Now, she asked on behalf of her sons. I think it was kind of like a family favor. I'm your aunt. They're your cousins. Come on, stay with me now. Stay with me. We're going to get somewhere. I promise you, before we're done, you're going to want me to quit because it don't feel good. I promise you. Stay with me. She asked a family favor of Jesus. Let my boys have big shot spots in your kingdom. I think it was another reason she asked. I think it was pride. I mean, what mama don't want her sons to do well? Let's be honest. It makes a mama feel, I hate to use the word pride, but whatever you want to call it, a, a sense of, 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 of well-being, however you want to put it, a, a sense of, 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 wow, they finally succeeded. My work is done. When the boys do good. And that's what she wanted. She didn't see Calvary as what it was yet. They didn't understand the resurrection yet. They were looking at things from a worldly standpoint, from an earthly, fleshly kingdom standpoint. They had not yet figured out what's really going to happen. Did they know he was the Messiah? Yes. But did they understand how it was all going to play out? No. So she asked for her pride. I believe she asked for for power as well. You think about that. Here Jesus Jesus sets up an earthly kingdom. Her sons, one on the right hand, one on the left, one second in command, one third in command. That's going to put her in a mighty good position. I know you think, boy, you sure being hard on Zebedee's wife and boy's mama, aren't you? I'm not being any harder on them than be on you or me. She asked for position's sake. Again, it, it, would, it would put her in a good spot. It would put her in a good spot in society. I mean, I mean, they knew there was a, they knew that Jesus was going to be the king in the end, but they didn't understand how. So, we see how she came to him. We see how the boys came to him. 
But let's look at the boys. Let's look at their ambition. Again, I put a title on this as blind ambition. What is that? That's just that's that's trying to succeed for your own sake. Not not to help others and lift others up and make others around you great, but you're only doing it for your own sake. They weren't trying to do it for anybody else's sake. They weren't seeking that position for anybody else's sake. <clears throat> They're not innocent bystanders. It's not all Salome's fault. And and if you notice she asked, but he answered the boys. He didn't answer her. He answered the boys. And uh, again, they'd all they'd all three agreed on this desire that they had before they came to him. But when they got there and they asked it, his answer was not what they had expected. He said, you don't know what you're asking for. In a nutshell, that's what he said. You don't know what you're asking for. Right? He said, you know not what you ask. He said, he asked him, he said, are you able to drink this cup that I'm about to drink? Are you going to, Are you able to do it? And you said, what cup? He's talking about the fact that he's going to be betrayed and he's going to be uh, condemned. And you notice in that, in what he said, he said and, and turned over to the Gentiles. Hey, we can't blame the Jews for everything. That puts us into the equation. We're all guilty. He said, all that's going to happen. He said, are you able to go through what I'm, going, what I'm about to go through? And again, they didn't grasp it. The things he had said in verse 18 and verse 19 had not sunken in. They did not realize he meant literally they're going to do all those things to me. They hadn't digested it. These were bold, short-sighted, ambitious men. You remember their nickname? The Sons of Thunder. That's what Jesus called them. Now, I don't know why. The Bible don't tell us why he calls them that but I'm assuming it had something to do with their boldness. They were just a little cocky. Some of us got a little of that in us. And they had a little bit of that in them. Amen? Peter had a, little, had a lot of it. Amen? Bold and cocky and ready to pop off at the mouth any time. It's just a human being, folks, just like me or you. And in light of, and in light of everything that Jesus had told them, again, again, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be scourged. I'm going to be crucified. All that. They just said, okay, we can handle it. We can handle it. We agree. We can do it. We can drink the cup. Sure. If it'll get us in the kingdom, if it'll get us on the right hand and left, you bet, Jesus, we can do it. They didn't consider. They didn't count the cost. They had not counted the cost. And I'm going to say to you that there's a lot of people, look up here at me, there's a lot of people who come to Jesus and they don't count the cost. There's a lot of people that think it's going to be a bed of roses being a believer. They don't count the cost. And therefore, they don't apply the cost. <clears throat> now, they'd already forgotten the incident that happened. And this is wintertime. Realize this is wintertime. We're heading into the spring. You know, during Passover, that's in April. 
listen, March, late March, early April, right in that time, and that's when Jesus is going to be crucified. So we're in winter. We're, we're getting close. We're moving right up to the crucifixion. All right, before, in the summer, before, an incident had occurred, and Jesus had tried to straighten them out on all this. And if you'll turn over to, let's see, Matthew chapter 18, just a, couple, just a page or two before. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus had already addressed this idea. See, they're wanting, they're wanting to be the greatest. I mean, they can't be Jesus, but they want to be right next to Jesus. They want to be as almost as great as Jesus. And so he'd address this back in chapter 18 of Matthew, if you would look there with me. The Bible says at that same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called the little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He tried to address it way back then and tell them in no uncertain terms, you're going to have to get off your high horse, boys. If you're going to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you're going to have to follow me around like a little child. I wonder how many of us do that. I wonder how many of us have a childlike faith anymore. I wonder how many of us just trust God regardless. Don't make no difference what happens. We don't fall apart. We don't, we don't panic. We know it's going to be all right. I know I've probably told you this before, but, you know, I, I, I always go back in my mind to riding on that package tray up above the back seat going down the highway between the speakers back before you had to wear seat belts when I was a little kid. I never worried about where we's going or how fast we's going or when we. I might have said we there yet, but I mean, I wasn't. I wasn't concerned. I wasn't scared. I knew the person behind the wheel knew what they were doing. I want to go through my Christian life the same way. I know he's driving. He knows where we're going. He's in control. He's in control of the speed. He's in control of the turn. I'm just riding. That's the way we ought to go about our life with Jesus. So he tried to convince them of that, but they didn't get it then either. Amen. And in light, and in light of what he had told them was going to take place, and he just told them that, just a few minutes or, or an hour or two before they came to him with this request, he just laid out everything that was going to happen. You would think their minds would at least be on him. Wouldn't you? He's going to die. He's going to be whipped with a, with a cat of nine tails. I mean, when he said scourge, they knew what that meant. They knew about the whipping post. He's going to be spit on. He said, they're going to spit on me. They didn't worry about that. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be turned over to the Gentiles. They're going to mock me. They're going to crucify me. They didn't say, well, Jesus, what did the prophets say? What's in the Old Testament about this? They didn't ask him a question. All they thought about was their own selves. But that's human nature, isn't it? That's, that's, that's our fallen nature, to think of ourselves only. But yet that's what happened here with the disciples who walked closely with him. So, so since they agreed to him, and they agreed that they could drink of his cup, they said, yeah, Jesus, we can do that. He said, well, you know what? You surely will. You surely will. You know, they didn't seem to care about his suffering. Again, they didn't, they didn't even ask a question about it. 
They only seem to care about them. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? You know, when you think about it, that's, that's the way we are a lot of times. What's in it for me? A lot of times our prayer life, it gets self-centered. We're just praying for our own self. We forget to pray for others. Our service to God can be self-centered sometimes. Mm-hmm. We say we're doing it for the Lord. We're really doing it for other people to notice. We're just we're just concerned about us. We get impatient sometimes with God. God isn't moving fast enough. God isn't showing me something now. I want to see it right now. I ain't got time to wait. I got to do something. We take off on our own, wandering off in a direction without the leading of God, foolishly, because we get impatient. We get, we get cold, we get bitter, we get angry sometimes, and, and we forget that there are people around us that are dying and going to hell, and they ain't never coming out of there, but yet we seem unconcerned. Why is it? It's because of this old stinking flesh we have that gets lazy on God, this old stinking flesh that gets unconcerned on God. They, they said, hey, Jesus, we got no problem. We want to be in, we want to sit on either side. So we'll drink that cup. You bet, Jesus, we'll do it. And they did. In Acts chapter 12, the Bible tells us that James was killed with a sword. He was bathed in his own blood for Jesus' sake. To satisfy the Jews, the Bible said. And what about John? They say John wasn't a martyr. No, he wasn't. But do you know that he was boiled in oil? Tertullian, the historian, says that, 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 that they heated up a vat of oil and he was plunged down in it, but he came out unharmed. Oh, he was baptized with a baptism. But not only that, he was left alone to die on the Isle of Patmos all by himself. You talk about seeming betrayal. Well, he had to go through it. He was rejected. They said, Jesus, can we sit on your right hand and your left? And Jesus told them, he said, these positions are not mine to give. Those are positions only my Father can give. Jesus was submissive to the Father. He didn't try to take something that was not his. He never did. He always did things in order. He always did things in submission to the Father. Everything he did was in submission to the Father. If only we were in submission to the Father. If only we were submissive the way we ought to be. Matthew twenty twenty four. The Bible says, and when the ten heard it, oh, they're still there. They're standing around watching all this. We forgot all about them. It's, it's all just Zebedee's wife and the two boys. No, there's ten men standing over watching all this, and I'm sure they stand around like this right here with their arms crossed, thinking, "What are these guys doing?" I mean, they got mad. The Bible said they were moved with indignation. That means they were hot. And like it a bit. I want you to think about this. They spent three years, every day, night and day, with Jesus Christ, watching him do miracle after miracle 
after miracle, watching him raise the dead, watching him open blind eyes and unstop deaf, deaf ears, uh, unbind palsied uh, limbs. I mean, he, he, he'd done everything, pure leprosy. He'd done everything uh, right before their eyes. And they spent the last two weeks of his earthly life bickering over who was going to be the greatest. Think about that. That's literally what happened. They spent the last two weeks, all the way up, you can remember, all the way up to the Last Supper. They're sitting at the Last Supper, still bickering over who's the greatest. That's human nature at its worst. These are his own. Again, all I can do is look at them and say, thank God he's merciful. Thank God for his mercy. You know what the Bible says in 1 John 2, 15? Let me read it to you. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. They had the lust of this world. That's why they're bickering. That's why they're arguing. That's why they're trying to position themselves for the best spot in the kingdom. It's not so they can be the best servant, folks. It's so they can have the best view. It's so that they can have the best treatment. These men have not yet understood all there is to understand about the Lord and His kingdom. Not yet. They all seem to forget Jesus at that moment and focus on themselves. How's that possible? I say, how's it possible that people do it in the Lord's church today? But they do. They certainly do. Let me tell you something. One cannot be great in the kingdom of God by worldly standards. It's only by God's standard. Now I want us to look here in verse 25 down to verse 28. Jesus said, he called unto them, uh, I'm sorry, but Jesus called unto him and said, you know that the princes of the Gentiles or the Gentile kings or the rulers exercise dominion over them. And they that are great, kings of other places, exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. You see, it's just backwards. God's God's way of thinking goes just exactly backwards from the way this world thinks. And it's always been that way. Whatever you see this world rushing to do, you can rest assured God's way is just the opposite. He said, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. He didn't come to this earth to be ministered to. He didn't come to this earth and demand a throne. He didn't come to this earth and demand a palace. He didn't come to this earth and demand anything, but that men look to him for salvation.
So I'm gonna, the last part of this message, I want to look at it from this point of view. How can we be great in the kingdom of God? I mean, they wanted to be great, but they wanted to be great in an earthly kingdom. They didn't understand. But we, on the other, on the other hand, we have a better view than they do. Now, now, I understand on the other side of Calvary, they got the same view we've got now. But from where they were at at this point, from where we're at, we have a better view. So how is one great? How can one be great in the kingdom of God? Well, first thing's simple. Matthew eighteen four. We read it a while ago. What did it say? Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. How do you get be great in the kingdom of heaven? Well, you're going to have to get off your high horse. You're going to have to forget how important you are. You're going to have to realize that He's all in all. You're nothing. Like I said before I started, God doesn't need us. The fact that he uses us is, an, is a testament to his, his grace and his mercy and his compassion and his love and his long-suffering. God doesn't need us, but God will use us if we humble ourselves, if we come realizing we'd be nothing without him. Without his blood, God couldn't do anything with us but put us in hell. Humble yourself as a little child. You say, how else? How else could I be great in the kingdom of heaven? Well, look at Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 33 through 35. The Bible said, And when he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace. They didn't want to tell him. For by the way, or on the way there, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. This thing has come up before. You see that? This is not something that just popped up. This has been a recurring theme all through their walk with Jesus. Why? Human nature. And he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. So humble yourself as a child and be last. Now, I know it's not that way anymore. I, and now, Nowadays, the kids run to the first of the line. It's time to eat. And they'll push the adults and the older folks out of the way. But when, when I was growing up, <laughs> when some of y'all was growing up, that's not how it was. No. The kids, they eat at a little table over there. They weren't at the big table where the important folks were. They was over there at a little table, a little card table or something, and they weren't to be rowdy. They were to be quiet and mind their business, let the adults talk. That's the way it was when I was coming up. Children are to be what? Seen and not heard. That was what, that's what it was when I, when I was coming up, or supposed to be anyway. Not that way anymore because things are upside down, but... The truth of it is, little children, they're not supposed to try to run the show. You see a little kid running mama all over the store, what do you think to yourself? She needs to get a hold of him. Right? Exactly. A little child is supposed to follow and be obedient and be last. Whatever they get is just out of the grace and kindness of mama and daddy. There's a picture here. We, we've got to get it in our minds if we're going to be obedient servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to have to focus and say, this has got to be me. 
Humble yourself as a child. Put yourself last. 1 Corinthians 9. Turn over there. We're just going to do Bible drill until we get done here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And verse 19 and following. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 and following. The Bible says, Paul said, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law as without law, not being without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. He's talking about the Gentiles. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by any means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker thereof with you. What's he saying? I got off my high horse. Because you remember Paul said, hey, I, I'm, I'm the stock of, I'm the finest stock of the Hebrews. I mean, look here, I got all the credentials. But he's saying, I didn't, I didn't use that. I set all that stuff over here, and I, I put on my poor folk clothes. I'm not rich folk anymore. I'm not Mr. Education anymore. I'm Mr. I don't know nothing. I'm going to get down on your level where you're at. I'm going to condescend to men of lesser degree. That don't mean look down on. That means lower myself down where they're at. <coughs> I remember one night standing on the sidewalk. I'm not bragging on me. I want to say that before I start. But I remember one night standing on the sidewalk in Longview, Texas, talking to a talking to an old black drunk who had matted beard and had vomited in his beard. And But I was down there pleading with him to get saved. You know, it wasn't easy to get down on that man's level. But I was trying to for Jesus' sake. Sometimes you've got to get your hands dirty for Jesus' sake. Sometimes you've got to talk to somebody you wouldn't talk to any other reason for Jesus' sake. So, um, listen, I've witnessed, I witnessed to black Muslims before. You know what? They were, he was blown away that I would even talk to him about it. He didn't get mad at me. He was just amazed that somebody saw him talk to him. You've got to condescend to people that you wouldn't normally go out of your way to talk to. Why? Because Christ wants them to hear the gospel. We have to lower ourselves. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. Paul said, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but shall heap, after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. And I know it'd be easy for us to step back and say, well, we're living in them days, so there's no point in going and telling anybody anymore. But let me tell you something. The whistle has not sounded. He has not blowed the horn. It ain't quitting time. It's still time to go out. They still some, hey, they still some wheat clinging to the stalks. They still something to be, to be gleaned. What's Paul saying? Just stick with the truth. Just tell it and stick with it and don't budge. Folks, do y'all ever look around this world we live in and realize it's just crazy? But yet, as a child of God, we live inside this little safe cocoon. That's God's grace. 
You know what? This world has gone off the deep end, but I'm still in the shallow end. Because why? Because I'm in God's. I'm in God's world. Amen. Thank God for that protection we have. The truth sets us free. <laughs> I want to share something with you. I, I, re- I ran across this this morning in my reading. This is this is out of a, an old commentary, and <clears> oh, <throat> people. People in this day and time we live in, there are so many more in churches who fall under the, the, the heading of what we're talking about today than there are that really seek after truth. Folks, there are plenty of people who go to see and be seen. There are people who go to be entertained. There are people who go this because they have this for their kids or they have that for their kids or, or, or this one's got more people in it that I, I can associate with in my business and maybe it'll help me in my business life. There's all kinds of reasons why people go to a certain church or other. But listen to me. The cross of Calvary is all that truly matters. But this in this commentary, this, this, this commentator, he, he talked about he talked about the cross of popular evangelism versus the cross. You say, what's the difference? The cross, as the world sees it, versus the cross. He says, the cross of popular evangelism is not the cross of the New Testament. It is rather a bright ornament upon the bosom of the self-assured and carnal Christian whose hands are indeed the hands of Abel but whose voice is the voice of Cain. The old cross slew men. The new cross entertains them. The old cross condemns. The new cross assures. The old cross destroyed confidence in the flesh. The new cross encourages it. The old cross brought tears and blood. The new cross brings laughter. The, cross, uh, the flesh, smiling in confidence, preaches and sings songs about the cross. And before that cross, it bows, and toward that cross, it points with carefully staged theatrics, but upon that cross, it will not die, and the reproach of that cross, it stubbornly refuses to bear. I'm telling you, we, we live in a very, very watered-down, lukewarm age. People don't get brokenhearted like they used to. People don't weep on altars like they used to. Why? Because we're trying to build an earthly kingdom for ourselves, I'm afraid. Churches are filled with men and women building their own kingdoms. How many pastors have we seen who have ruined churches trying to build their own little kingdoms? Really, let's be honest. They're seeking, I mean, let's see, how many, let's see how many degrees I can put after my name so I look like a thermometer. I mean, is that what it's all about? Do you, I mean, no, and they don't care a thing about their temperature. They just care about the name. <laughs> Whatever. Doctor of Divinity. I guess that, that allows you to make candy or something. I don't know. There's so many, there's so many of them degree. I could care less. I don't want a degree. I just want, I just want to be on fire. But yet they've destroyed churches. They've destroyed people. Not just men, men and women. There are women in churches who 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 will destroy people for position. Yeah, I've seen it happen. Trying to, I mean, some of them are pastors. Some of them may be Sunday school teachers. Some of them may just be. 
trying to work vacation Bible school, and they feel like that's their realm and their domain, and they're going to they're gonna rule it with an iron fist and tell everybody what to do, and you better get out of my way. Why are they there? They're not there for Jesus. They're there for them. James and John, were they trying to sit on either side for Jesus? It was for them. A true servant is all about sacrifice. All about sacrifice. If you don't believe me, let's look. Romans 1.1. 1, 1. How did Paul open the book? Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I think he was trying to get that across to us. He, he served the Lord Jesus Christ. He used to be somebody according to worldly standards, but what did he do? Out there on that road to Damascus, God got his heart. He didn't just get his soul, he got Paul's heart. And that day, Paul quit caring about what Gamaliel thought about him. He quit thinking, caring about what anybody else on the, on the Sanhedrin thought about him. He quit caring about what anybody thought about him, period, except for God. Because at that day and time, Paul became a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my friends, I'm going to tell you something. The day that you got saved, you were, you were determined to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I can't tell whether or not you are a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ or whether your name's just written down. Because you realize it's possible to be saved and not truly be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's what he wants you to be. And if you expect to ever have any reward on the other side of this earth, then you better be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told, let's look at, let's look at verse 28 there, the last, the last verse in our text. Jesus, he left us an example. He said, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Do what I'm doing. Jesus is a servant. He came as a servant. He, he served. He, he, he gave his all. He gave everything. His life's blood, everything. There was nothing he held back. That's a servant. Romans 8, 28 and 29. You know what it says, but I'm going to read it to you. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he, he might be the firstborn among many brethren, for whom he did foreknow. Yes, before he ever said, let there be light, he knew you and me. He knew you would accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. 
And therefore, because of that foreknowledge that you would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he set forth a plan in motion to conform you into the image of a servant like his son, Jesus Christ. Listen, you can take, you can take, y'all ever seen them little party ice trays they got? And they got all kinds of weird shapes. You can make them look like bugs and stuff and then put them in somebody's drink. I mean, they make all kinds of weird shapes. And, and you know what? You pour water into it. Water doesn't have any idea what it's going to be when you pour it in there, but it freezes in the shape of that. Listen, let God pour you into whatever he wants you to be and let him mold you into that. Quit trying to guess God. Quit trying to figure God out. Just follow him. Just say, Lord, whatever it is, however long it takes, however much i got to go through, whatever it costs me, I want to be your servant. I want to serve you. I said earlier, the disciples, they started bickering a long time back. They bickered all the way up through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, they bickered until what? Until they were filled with the Spirit of God. When he spoke to them, be you filled. When the Holy Ghost of God moved and came into them, that's when they stopped bickering and they started serving. Now, let me tell you this. Every single one of you in here this morning who by your own personal testimony says, I have, been, I have come to Jesus for salvation. I have been washed in his blood. I am a child of God, the Holy Ghost of God. That same Holy Ghost, when he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost, that same Holy Ghost lives in you if you're a saved child of God. There ain't no reason why you and I should be sitting around bickering about something earthly. We ought to get our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and let him live in us. Let me tell you, it's, it, being filled with the Spirit of God is not spooky. It ain't, it ain't, it ain't weird. It's simply this. My hands used to serve the devil. My feet used to serve the devil. My mind used to serve the devil. My eyes used to serve the devil. My ears, my mouth, they all used to serve the devil. But I got saved, and I don't belong to the devil anymore. I belong to Jesus. I was bought completely. And by the fact, matter of fact, I'm going to read that before I get done. I didn't read it a while ago, but 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm almost done, y'all. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? And ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Ain't a one of us in here this morning that's saved belongs to us. We all belong to him. And if we would, we would humble ourselves, if we would follow him as his obedient children, if we would lower ourselves and be willing to do for others and put others first, just like Jesus did, we'd see success, not in, necessarily in this life, but, folks, there's a world to come. There is a whole eternity to go. And we will live in eternity with the results of here. I urge you. I urge you. Be filled with the Spirit and serve God. Don't 
sit and bicker over stuff that doesn't matter, that won't be on the other side anyway. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the truth. We thank you for the word of God. And, Lord, I pray that we never be caught with just blind ambition of trying to do things for our own selves. Oh, Lord, I pray, Father, that you work in us this morning. Holy Spirit of God, work in somebody's life today. Father, I pray that they, Lord, that the light would come on and they'd realize, hey, I'm supposed to live for Jesus. I'm not supposed to live in a world just designed for me. I'm supposed to live for him and put him first. Lord, I pray you'd do the work in somebody's heart today. Lord, do a work in mine. Draw me closer to being what I'm supposed to be. Father, I pray, Lord, as we sing a song of invitation here in just a moment, Lord, I pray, Father, work in somebody. Lord, not just now, but continually, even as we leave here, work in their lives. Draw them into a closer relationship, maybe into a calling. Lord, maybe you got a call on somebody's life. Father, I pray you'd show us what you'd have us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sister, are you going to come? We're going to sing 294. 294. If God's doing a work in you today, don't, don't just stand there in that pew. Come to these altars. Come and do business with God. I don't know why I picked 294 or whatever that's supposed to be. In. That ain't it. Just pick something I'll sing it. Just as I am, be fine. <laughs> you want to play that one? No, don't play that. Play just as I am. <clears throat> We're going to sing just as I am. Let God work in your heart. Again, when we start, we come to a time like this, the devil will use anything he can to distract us. Let God have his way. Let God do a work in you. He started it, has he not? He begun a good work in you. Let him complete it. That's what the Bible says. He which has begun a good work in you. He's going to work on it until it, until the day of the Lord Jesus. So let him have his will and let him... No, no, no. Just as I am. We'll sing that. Just as I am. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's sing that one. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee O Lamb of God I come I come just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blood to thee whose blood 
of God I come. I come. Amen. Praise God. I hope you will. If God's dealing with you today, come to him. Come to him. Turn it all over to him. I mean, listen. Again, we look at those disciples. Look how hard-headed and stubborn and bumbling they were. And still, Jesus loved them to the end. Amen. He loves you, and he's going to love you to the end. Let's be, let's be better than we are for him. Amen. Let's set out and determine we're going to, we're going to surrender to God. We're going to let him do something with us before our life's over. Let's let God have us. Amen. All right. Well, I'll see you back here tonight at 6 o'clock, and I'll bring a short one tonight. All right? So so let's, let's, go, let's go get us a bite to eat and be back here at 6 o'clock. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and be dismissed. And uh, Grant, dismiss us in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the message that we're doing this morning. I just ask that uh, we be attentive to your scribbling class for hearts. Lord, I'm not going to decide what we have. We have the promise of the new covenant. We open the name Dear God, we can be servants. Give us a servant that Amen. Well, praise God. Oh. I thought I knocked somebody off. Something opened my door. <laughs> I heard a trash can move. I thought, oh no, somebody's on the other side. God bless you, ma'am. Appreciate you. I don't know. Way up yonder. He wants to go to that Italian restaurant. Oh. Oh, yeah. Boy, mine, he said, Daddy, will you stop at the store? I want to get a little snack so I ain't hungry here in church. I said, all right, I guess we'll stop. He ran and come out there with three of them Crispitos. Three of them. I said, good gracious, man, I wouldn't eat that for lunch. That's more than I'd eat for lunch. That took my stomach out about 40 years. Goodness. Anything, if it's got a little spice in it, it'll make you sick in the Last time the church went to Rio Verde, mm-hmm. it took me two days and two bottles mm. of my pesto dish. <laughs> Goodness gracious. <laughs> No, no, I haven't been back, sir. All right, brother. I'll see you tonight. Brother, Luis, God bless you, man. Good to see you today. Yes, sir. Praise the Lord. God bless you, Linda. God bless you, sister. Appreciate you. Thank you. What you had the message you had this morning had a kind of an indirect or direct application where I'm at in Hebrews right now. We're talking about 
the the death of the testator, mm-hmm. bringing the new covenant into effect. Right. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until the death of Christ that the new covenant right. came into effect. And then you find a new covenant. There is in Jeremiah 31. He, he does it, but that's where I'm going to put my put my laws in their mind and uh, in their hearts mm-hmm. and, and everything else. Right. And uh, I just got to thinking. It was. Yeah. Part of the reason why these guys saw all of this in Jesus was they didn't have that that installation what you talked about the Holy Spirit that just goes right along with that. Right. God never heard anybody preach on them two boys and their mama coming to Jesus before. Never. I don't know why. But I mean, I said out to preach through all the the life of Jesus. So I got to take every bit of it, whether I see anything there or not. I have to keep digging and scratching until something comes out. I mean, I look, I'm looking at old, trying to find old Spurgeon sermons on nobody, nothing. Sister, God bless you. And happy birthday. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> oh, thank you. That was that was Friday. Yeah. Fifty years. You, you have oh, fifty years. Fifty years. Wow. That's a long time to put up with you. I had no idea. So that was partly going to take us long. <laughs> <laughs> Mercy <laughs> sakes. <laughs> you know, Robert, yeah, 50 years of honeymooning. <laughs> you know she could put up with you this long, did you? Uh, so you didn't know she could put up with you this long? No. Did you? <laughs> well, Byron, God bless you, man. Thank you. I appreciate you. Yes, sir. I'll be here at six. Sure will. Now, tell me your name again. Oh. Well, Cole? Good, good to meet you, Cole. Cole King Cole was a Mario Nonsense. He doesn't even know what I'm talking about, do you? Oh, I'll be back tonight, too. Yes, ma'am. I appreciate that. Bonnie, God bless you. God bless you, too. God bless you, sister. Yes, you're welcome. And happy anniversary. Finally made it 50. <laughs> well, Selling him, that's a long time for you to have to put up with him. I know. Trust me. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I just said that in reverse. <laughs> Is it? It's true, too? <laughs> Grant said he's the sweetest thing around. Appreciate you, brother. Enjoy it, brother. Yes, sir. God bless you. We enjoyed you being here. Amen. Sorry it took me so long to say all that. I was trying to say it faster, but I... I had a lot to say. We didn't run off. No, y'all didn't run off. Y'all are good test subjects. Y'all didn't run off nowhere. I haven't done it in a long time. I'm not going to take the songbook with me. I almost took it out the door with me a while ago. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> I was just gathering up. I hadn't either. Oh, you see me looking at my watch? He said, well, that doesn't be a thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, was listen, I used to listen to Curtis Hudson whenever I first first surrendered the ministry, and he was talking about when he was in a little old tiny church house. He said, he said, and he first started, when he first really, he said, he started really praying for the power of the Holy Ghost. He said, and, you know, and his sermons just started taking off. He said, and I got preaching, and he said, I didn't know when to stop. He said, I had one guy, he, he got to where he'd look at his watch and he'd shake it. He said, that didn't bother me so bad. He said, when he started waving a calendar at me, I got, I hurt my feelings a little bit. <laughs> Well, 
I never had nobody wave a calendar at me. I've had some shake their watch, so. <laughs> had a guy flash his mason ring at me one day. Oh, boy. Yep. God bless you. I'll see y'all tonight. Where you want to go? Oh, I don't know. Wherever. Wherever Stephanie wants to go, probably. Okay. <laughs> um, I was just wondering, instead of instead of putting your tithe in, did you put it in here? No. Can you just get lunch? Yeah. That would do about the same profit. It's all said and done. I'll see you in a minute. We'll go to we'll go to whatever it is, the Mexican. Okay. We're going to Mexican joint. I help you understand the message better, me talking about it beforehand. So did you get it did you kinda of get something out of it this way? Huh? Realize they were fo- they were only focused on this world. They weren't looking at things spiritually. I mean The Mexican place. Not this one, but the other one. Whatever it's called, down yonder, I can't remember. Park. 
Mexican restaurant. We got to think of it before we get there. Cholampos. Longing for Cholongos. They can if they have a little motor on them. There are some that do. They got, no, it's not a motorcycle. It's, I mean, they're called mopeds, but. I know what I'm. But there are actually bicycles that have a little motor mounted on on them, and like, <laughs> you pedal and you get up to a certain speed, the motor kicks in. Uh huh. How would you stop? Well, you start flying the brake, and the motor kicks out. Why? You don't travel long distances on a bicycle. You wouldn't need it. To do what? Go to Meemaw's house? I knew I couldn't turn in, so I pulled as far as I could, and I stopped, and I went back up and pulled in. Park right there. Well, you got a cane crying out loud. Well, just park right there, then. Pull up right in there. It ain't even, no, it's a different restaurant now. Don Poncho's? Yeah. Since when? I don't know. We're waiting on some folks. I'm, I'll right. turn and I'll take over the door holding though. <laughs> Thank you. All right. I guess so. I hope the food's good. Smells exactly the same. It's Don Poncho's. We're here, so we might as well eat. You gonna get us on the list? A list? Yeah. 
don't think we got to be on the list, do we? There's tables. Mm-hmm. Yep. If the next person out there doesn't, I'm gonna grab our silver. I mean, we got. right there. Y'all get wherever you want. I don't, it doesn't matter. There's five of us and six chairs, so you'll be fine.
They still have Mexican flag enchiladas, so. Hey, you stare at me till I figured out who you were. <laughs> I wouldn't even pay no attention. I'm I'm good. Preach for Lucas today. I guess he's courting. I guess he's courting. He need to hurry up and he need to hurry up and put a ring on it. The only thing I care about is they have the Mexican flag enchiladas. Then why do they rename it? What? Take me but a minute. Come out of that store with three crispitos. Three crisp I mean that's more than I'd eat for lunch. You know, he got over half of that thing I I know it was gone. Well, but it's because this much of it left. We ate we ate you had one horse and he ate the rest of it. Wow. He's just growing, I guess. I guess. But he is he eats I buy those little frozen pieces, he eats at least three, plus some blue Then goes to your house again. Oh, no, but I got to have some to drink very soon. I'm parched. You got a what? I am parched. It looks like they got Pepsi in those. Oh, they got Coke. Coke in a Pepsi glass, I guess. Uh, 
get every time I ever got it. It's delicious. Some more mine and Icy's favorites. Hi, how are you? Doing good. Nice. I want Coke. I have a Coke. I have a Coke. I'm sorry. No, no, no. He was trying to figure out what kind of drink he was talking about. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were talking about I thought you wanted to set him up every second. Come up on something, it's like, oh, well, I've heard that preached on a hundred times. So I place my outline similarly on stuff I've heard before. You can run up on something like that, it's like, oh, okay. Where am I going to go with this? But Jesus kind of led up to it anyway. You did fine, Mama. It sounded good. I couldn't believe to put you on a spot like that. Oh, well, I couldn't believe that. I couldn't find it. All right. Oh. Do what? Yeah, I 
Yes, but can we have ours? I don't know. I'm, I'm tempted, aren't you? Tempted to get it and clean it up. What you get? Pink lemonade? Uh, she got coke. Oh yeah, that's right. Appears to be a seven up on Get out of there, 